0: Hello, folks. Welcome to the Genuinely Interested Podcast. My name is Roy Bensvie. I'm your host. And this week on the podcast, we have Michael Chiesa. Michael is an MMA fighter, and he fights for the UFC. I believe he's ranked number eight at the moment at the 170 division. And yeah, he's one of the top guys. He's fought some of the top, top fighters in the world. I'm talking Maz Vidal, Jim Miller, uh, RDA... Really, Ally Quinta back in the day, just some of the top guys that has ever fought in the 155 or 170 division. And, you know, I'm happy that he made the move up to 170 from 155. I think um, there's a lot of fighters. You see Darren Till, he he went up from 170 to 185. Dustin Poirier went up from 145 to 155. And I think more and more fighters are going to start going up a weight class because, um, cutting so much weight just it affects the way they fight the the next day it just it does it's just so much weight to cut and you just perform better not cutting as much weight uh we saw that with tj dillashaw and i mean there's it's endless the amount of people i can just rattle off right now but at 170 he looks amazing three wins in a row and yeah hopefully he can get you know one or two more fights and then it's uh it's gold. I think he can easily be a champion within a year or two if uh you know if the stars align and covid allows it and uh he gets a few guys in the top 5. So we'll see how things play out, but um I had a great time talking to him. He was uh in his house in Washington and um yeah, we talked about bats. They had a bat incident, uh hilarious. We talked about a potentially shitting yourself before a fight incident which was absolutely hilarious one of the funniest stories i've heard and you should definitely stick around it's uh i think it's towards the end of the podcast that he tells that story and it's something i've always thought about i was like man what happens like if you just you need to go it's like it's fight time cameras are on live event pay-per-view and you're like, your bowels are telling you that, you know, it's go time. What do you do in that situation? And I guess you just power through. There's nothing to do. The fans at home aren't going to wait. So the story that he tells is really hilarious. And yeah, I think the most important and interesting aspect for me was just the authenticity in which uh, Michael presents himself. Uh, a lot of fighters are in the in the in the hopes of getting their name out there they will put on a persona or some sort of a character and mike just seems to be embracing himself and just being who he is and i think that authenticity shines and i think that's why fans have been flocking to him and really embracing uh who he is recently and just that's i think that's the best way to gain a following just be who you are be authentic Um, If you're not a shit talker, don't be a shit talker. If you are a shit talker, then do it. Just do what you're good at. Don't try to copy what someone else does because they're making money off it. That's usually not the best way to go, regardless of industry. I think we as a society reward people who are genuine and authentic and creative in their fields. And as a society, we tend to flock to those people. You know, whatever you want to call it, uh, magnetic people, whatever it is. But I think authenticity is is, is a key factor in um, in presenting oneself, especially when you have to be, you know, in front of the internet, in front of cameras all the time, doing interviews all the time. Eventually, if you are putting on some sort of facade or a persona that shit's going to fade and people are going to see through you. So, you might as well be you. And Mike does a great job of that. And he's, you know, funny and fun and still respectful and humble and just awesome fighter. He's got some really great fights. Um, If you haven't seen him, I think all the fights are available on Fight Pass. So, you know, you can check him out. And yeah, I just had a, a fun time. Uh, I always love talking to fighters. Um, it's probably some one of the things that I, I love doing the most. Uh, I've always been a martial arts fan, from K1 to MMA, Muay Thai, kickboxing, karate. When I was a kid, I used to watch all the Jean-Claude movies and Chuck Norris and, and all those guys. So always been a big fan. And yeah, I hope you guys enjoy the, the episode. As far as uh, sharing it, guys, please share the episode, subscribe, rate, uh, review the episode. And I'm sure uh, if you have friends, family that are fight fans, they are definitely going to enjoy this episode. Mike really opens up about a lot of different things. So it was definitely a fun one. Yeah. And without further ado, here is this week's guest, Michael Chiesa. The Genuinely Interested host. and we're live hey mike hey how you doing good man thanks for coming on the the podcast i've been a fan for many years and watching you fight and um, i'm happy to have you on yeah it's good to be here man how's uh quarantine
1: treating you Uh, it's been good you know it was pretty challenging here in washington we had you know um you know our governor kind of locked us down for a while um just kind of like along with the rest of the west coast states but uh yeah, you know it was uh it was challenging in the sense that like you know all the gyms were closed and stuff like that so it was, it was pretty hard and then once I built my own home gym things got a little bit easier and uh yeah it wasn't too bad you know and then I live with my fiance we get along very well and uh I think that if we didn't get along that it would be it'd be a big struggle you know what I mean so it's uh yeah it was pretty smooth sailing
0: yeah. I saw some stat and I think it was in China where they saw like the divorce rates, like shoot up <laughs> something like 500% yeah, from just people being in, in that close proximity for too long.
1: I could see that, you know, and the, the, the thing that's tough, um, you know, with this whole quarantine thing is, uh, you know, I've um, uh, I work for Spokane school district, um, uh, as a wrestling coach and, uh, you know, a lot of these kids are not every kid has the greatest home life, you know what I mean? And, and you know, a, a situation like this with the quarantine and them now just recently yesterday, they announced here in, in Spokane, you know, on the east side of Washington state, uh, they're going to be doing basically all the all the schooling from home. And, you know, you take the divorce rates, that's tough. But for me, I think a lot about the kids and, uh, you know, yeah. I think it's, they're in a they're in a particularly tough situation. I grew up in a pretty rough environment myself. So I know how I know how life would be if, if I was in quarantine in that in that type of situation. So um, yeah, that's 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 got to be. It's it's just tough all around in any situation, whether you're in a good relationship, bad relationship, good home life, bad home life. Yeah. It's just a, it's a very tricky. It's a very tricky situation right now.
0: Yeah, we're in a, we're in uncharted waters. It's uh, not something that we've ever had to do before. Where it's it's like you have to choose the lesser evil, right? Like, do you send your kids to school and then potentially you know, there's another outbreak and then, or do you keep them at home? And then that comes with its own set of problems. And the same with work, right? You go to work, you stay home. There's just all these back and forth that we have to, I don't know, it's these ethical gymnastics that we have to do to figure out what's the what's the least worst option for us right now in, in this 2020. But I think 2021, like everyone's thinking 2020. I don't know that 2020 was necessarily going to be Magically, that much better. I think it's gonna, you know, th- there's gonna be some sort of a trial run with the vaccine and with all these different yeah. things that it's not immediate. It's not like, ooh, January 1st, everything's great.
1: <laughs> right? I know, and it sucks because like this year started off so good for me. Like I was like, you know, I won my fight in January and that was a big one for me. And then, you know, a week later, I proposed to my fiance or You know, I proposed to my girlfriend, Now my fiance. Yeah. That was a week later on February 1st. And like, I remember we were in Dubai, we were in Dubai when I proposed and I just remember we we were having a conversation. They're like, this is going to be the best year ever. We're like sitting in our hotel room. We got this nice, (laughs) like, dude, this year is going to be awesome. Like, look where we are right now. And then like a month later, I'm like, look where we are now. We're stuck on the couch, (laughs) (laughs) This you know? And like, You know, and I wanted to get back to competition sooner, and uh, you know, that's another thing that kind of sucked for both of us, is, is, uh, you know, I wanted to get back to competing Um, in July. That's usually kind of like the time frame I've been on the last few years, and I was going to have a surgery in uh, like end of March, early April, and elective surgeries got postponed, and so I had to postpone my surgery, so now I'm in recovery right now and kind of waiting waiting to see how this thing heals up, to hopefully get in there before the end of the year, but, you know, and it, it was, uh, you know, there's just been kind of challenges all around, you know, there's just kind of, there's no way and it's weird that like all these challenges are coming from different directions and I'm just at home. Like I'm not, it's like I'm out in the real world every day, you know, it, it's a little easier now, but I mean, like these things were just coming out of left field. I'm like, I haven't even left my house and adversity just does not, it's just, it won't stop nipping at my heels.
0: Yeah. Now, I mean, I, so are you still active? Are you still training at home or now with recovery, you're doing a little bit less? Uh, a lot less. And it sucks because I
1: I, uh, I I it's thought about postponing the surgery because it's nothing that's like, it's not like I had any ligaments, you know, that were torn or I was structurally compromised. It was just, I had some hardware um, that I needed to have taken out of my body that's been there for a long time. And uh, it was just starting to give me problems over the years. And you know, I never really thought about taking it out. And then after consulting with the team at the UFCPI, they were just like, dude, you, need, you should probably just get this taken out. It's, it's only going to get worse, you know. And it's so yeah. surgery was supposed to be a smooth little 30 to 45 minutes, probably about four weeks recovery. And it turned out to be five and a half hours long. And, uh, kind of like, yeah. So I think I'm optimistic. I think I could still fight by the end of the year. Um, I just got to let this bone graft heal. And, uh, that takes six weeks. I'm at week four. Um, so, you know, I got another two weeks to where this bone graph takes and, uh, you know, just got to get, just got to get the, my, my quad on my left leg. is just like this big, I just got this little, I have skinny legs as it is. So, you know, I just got to make sure that my body's a hundred percent and, uh, you know, see how things shake out. Are you doing any physiotherapy? Yeah, for sure. And it's cool. It's, this is like a, um, you know, obviously I, I, when I go, I go to Las Vegas a lot now that I've, I'm able to travel a little bit, like I'll be, I went there for two weeks, came home, went back, had my surgery, stayed there for another week. Um, I'm actually going back on when, or on Thursday, I'll probably go there for another week, mm-hmm. but this is kind of cool. I, uh, the first year I ever coached wrestling, there's this kid named Dylan Lemery and he's one of the best kids I ever coached. And I'm not just saying that because he'll probably watch this, but uh, awesome kid. He was team captain, always worked hard. He went on to wrestle four years in college. Um, One of the few guys I've coached that's like gone on to do something like that. But um, he's, he's my physical therapist now because he went to school and he did all that stuff. So now he's a registered, you know, he's an official physical therapist. He's got his, um, his strength conditioning certified and he, you know, he's got all these certifications and stuff and, I'm in there calling, you know, going yes sir, no sir, and he's like, dude, this is too weird for me. Like, you just stop calling me sir. I'm <laughs> like, this is who, this is who I am in the real world, Dylan. Like, uh, doesn't matter who you are. I'm on a yes or sir, no sir basis with all adults. You know what I mean? And you're an adult now, so it's yeah, it's kind of cool. But um, and it, and he's very it's it's the nice. roles have been flipped exactly. And he's very invested in my career. Um, you know, he's just always been a big supporter. He was there before things ever took off. When I was just, you know, when I was just slinging beers at, at anheuser Bush here in Spokane, you know, I was just a beer guy chasing a dream and, you know, just coaching when I could. And it's just cool yeah. that things have come full the whole circle that now we're both where we were meant to be. I'm in the UFC. He's, he finished his schooling. He's certified or physical, or certified physical therapist, strength conditioning coach. Um, yeah. So it's pretty cool. It's cool that him and I are like synced back up and like working together.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. It, it kind of reminds me when I was in the, in the army for the first year, my captain, you know, there was a very regimented distance between like the captain and, and and the soldiers and he would just torment me like, in a in a good way, not like in a bad way, but like yeah. we had like a, a, a respect between us. And then maybe like, you know, after I got out of the army, maybe like a year or so after uh, we met up and we were just sitting like as civilians as like, you know, he was only maybe two or three years older than me. It yeah. was just such a weird experience just talking to him, like, normally, just like yeah, as another human. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, it was a similar experience. So yeah. maybe, um, maybe take us a little bit uh, back, maybe give us some background. Uh, where'd you grow up? What was your uh, initial martial art of preference? You know, how'd you get into MMA? Um, well, so I grew up, I was born in Aurora, Colorado. Um, okay.
1: Parents split up and then we every, we they split up here in Spokane so we moved from Aurora to Spokane and then uh i grew up in a little town called Otis Orchards and not town of not a, not very many people and um initially i was just kind of like a skateboarder nerd like i was just super into skateboarding and and uh i did, i remember when i was like 9 years old i was up in my dad's house and uh i'm at this kid Jeff Arnold's house and his dad was like downstairs we went downstairs to play and his dad was watching this fighting stuff and i'm used to seeing boxing like i i remember being in my cousin's house watching mike tyson pay-per-views and stuff and so we're like i'm going thinking he's watching boxing and it's like this weird thing there's like these big weird looking dudes with like mullets and like karate uniforms (laughs) and stuff. And um, his dad would let us sit and watch it until it got, like, bloody or violent. And then he'd make us go in the other room. And so we were just getting, like, pulled in and out. And I'm like, God, oh, man, I'm, like, missing the good stuff, you know? And uh, I remember when I was sitting there, as I'm watching it on the TV, like, on the ground, it was, like, the TV is up on this, like, TV stand. I just was holding, like, the VHS case. And it was just, like, this bald guy, like, holding this, like, globe. You know what I mean? Like, you've seen the old UFC logo. And yeah. so that was when I was nine. And then... When I was just a skateboarder nerd around like you know twelve thirteen years old, and I shouldn't say skateboarder nerd because I still love skateboarding a lot. It's like it's still part of my life, so I shouldn't say that. Really, technically, I still am a skateboarder nerd. Yeah, yeah, you can't take that away. From me. You can't take that out of me. I can't. I, not even if I wanted to. But uh um, I'm like skateboarding by the skateboarders
0: boat. are always the cool guys. No, I thought the skateboarders hey, were the it, cool guys.
1: It's it, it it taught me a lot about being tough. I'll tell you that much. I mean, you can only hit the pavement so many times, you know. Definitely made me But I remember we were skateboarding down to the local video store and we're just like, I'm walking through the video store, just rummaging around. And I found that freaking same, that same VHS case. I'm like, Holy shit. I'm like telling my buddy, I'm like, dude, I was watching this at my buddy Jeff's house like five years ago. And there was like karate dudes and like big, huge guys. And like, it was crazy. And, and of course, like the, the tape cassette case said like rated X, you know, like banned in, you know, 49 states, eight countries, you know, something crazy. And so it took me, I had to beg my mom for like a month, just like, please let me rent this. Like, please, please, please let me rent it. It wasn't until, um, Kevin Jackson, when he fought Frank Shamrock, I saw Kevin Jackson's name on there. And I, I had done like a, a wrestling camp clinic, um, that he was at. It was after the 99 worlds, I think the 99, yeah, the 99 worlds um that they had in spokane and uh i was like mom kevin jackson was on here and he coached the wrestling camp i was like you have to let me get this now and so that was kind of like the selling point and so that was the first fight i ever sat and watched like was able to process like know what was going on it was kevin jackson versus frank shamrock and i remember i was like telling my buddy i'm like this kevin jackson guy's a badass like he's an olympic gold medalist like this is gonna be sweet and he got armbarred in like 10 seconds by frank shamrock and I had no idea what an armbar was. I was just like, "What the yeah. hell? That makes no sense." That guy, Kevin Jackson, took him down, put him on his back, and lost. That doesn't compute. When you, you know, I was a wrestler. That makes zero sense. So that's what drew me to it. I was like, I was so baffled by that one little short fight. I was like, I need to know what this is later on in life. And that was that was where the attraction came from for sure.
0: So you went into wrestling, you were, you wrestled throughout high school, right? And
1: college? I started wrestling, um, probably when I was around like 10 or 11. Um, like Otis Sorgers being a small town, like essentially it's just going to be a tough wrestling community. Um, so yeah, so I started wrestling like around middle school and you know, it's just like, that's kind of like the cool kids skateboarded and wrestled. So that those are the two things I did and, uh, the two things I still love very much. And, uh, but the, yeah, they, kind of they, they kind of led and it's a very uncanny combo, but those are the two paired together that kind of led me into the sport of mixed martial arts. Like, you know, skateboarding is like a, it's such a progressive sport, whether you're trying to progress the sport or you're just trying to progress yourself. And uh, you got to take a lot of punishment to do it. You got to really learn how to like hit the pavement a lot and crash and, you know, get really roughed up in order to just land a trick one time. So it's like, you kind of get that sense of like how to take punishment and how to like battle through injuries and stuff moving into mixed martial arts. And of course, wrestling, that's just the first true martial art, you know, And it, it, it is, it's weird to say a lot of like hard-nosed wrestlers would say it's not a martial art, you know, but they don't see things from my perspective. Um, so that skateboarding was kind of like the foundation. And then wrestling was the martial art that kind of paired with that and kind of like accompanied it, you know, so um, and it, it, there's other fighters I've talked to that are like that, you know, like Dan Ige skateboarded, uh, Eric Spicely skateboarded. Dan Ige actually wrestled in college. So him and I talk about this a lot. Like, dude, skateboarding and wrestling are actually a great combination for, for getting in mixed martial arts, you know. And I, I've learned how to battle injuries. I've I've fought through injuries. I fought Hoffer, Rafael Dostanios with a broken nose. I've fought UFC 157 five weeks after knee surgery. Like, I've done some pretty crazy shit. And I think a lot of that attribute to like skateboarding like that, just like that willingness to like take punishment, like see if I could keep pushing type thing.
0: Dude, that's the thing. I think a lot of people, you know, they'll see fights, right? And, and, And I don't think they understand how tough the fighters are. They'll see like kicks, like if you check a kick. They, they don't even register how much that hurts, right? Or, or, or I don't know, getting your nose broken or, or liver shots and getting elbowed in the face and this huge gash on you know, your forehead, all these different things. And, they, and you look at the fighters and they show usually zero to no emotions. And people who are, I don't want to say casuals, but maybe that have never really sparred or done any, you know, too much martial arts, don't know how much that shit hurts. They just have no idea. You know, and that's that's something
1: I'm okay with. You know, it's like uh, you get to a point where you get pretty callous to the con, you to the to the uh, you get very callous to to the naysayers and the the thing the the people that don't the people that kind of like downplay those types of things. You get used to the people yeah. that kind of. There's a lot of bad mouthing in this world. Uh, I think Mike Tyson said it best. Social media made it made it too. I don't know the exact quote, but something along the lines of like social media made it very made it too convenient for people to talk shit without getting hit for it. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. Yeah. I'm not saying if like someone said these things to my face or was like, Oh, you're a pussy. Like you, you know, that checking a leg kick isn't that bad. It's like, have you ever checked the kick? You know what I mean? Like it does uh, not, feel good. it does not feel whether you're the no. one checking or you're the one getting checked. It's still, it's like, it's not the most pleasuring feeling, you know? So it's like, I'm not saying I would lash out at people like that, but it's like, it definitely gave them a nice little buffer to like, you know, toss a lot of criticism and it's the same type of people that will watch an NFL game and, you know, call a player, you know, a pussy for not catching a pass or taking a hard hit. You know, it's just, it's, it's just, it's, it's commonplace, honestly, in all sports In all sports. You got, you're going to have people that are like that. I just feel like in MMA, it's just a lot worse. I feel like it's just, I feel like mixed martial arts and NFL, I think get the worst criticism from, from, from the people that watch it and the and the fans and the uh the critics.
0: Yeah. I mean it's um I think specifically for, well in MMA specifically no one no one's gonna or even if NFL I guess like those guys are massive no one's gonna come up to you and tell you the things that they're writing on Twitter or on Instagram. No one's gonna tell you that to your face. Like that no. just doesn't happen, right? No. You're no, gonna have you know I mean, they're gonna it does not happen they'll be all. complete psychos. No, that would never happen. Only on social media. Yeah but, yeah. Like you said, it gives them that anonymity to sit in some basement. And usually they're not the people because if you've you know, if you've done some basic martial arts and, and you've getting your ass whooped a few times in in the gym, you're like, OK, shit, this is hard, man. Like, I, I need to have another level of respect for this, for the people yeah. doing it on that on the highest level possible that humans have ever done it.
1: Yeah. Oh, for sure. And, and I think and then for me, I get a lot of crazy. I get a lot of worse criticism because it's like, you know. People hate, they, they, everybody loves to see knockouts. Everybody loves a good striker. I mean, it's, I don't blame them. I'm the same way, but like, I get a lot of criticism for my style or like, you know, the way I win fights and stuff. And they, they, there's a lot more that goes on to meets the eye. You know what I mean? And like, it's like, it's easy to, it's easy to analyze when someone's throwing punches and spinning back fists and strikes and things like that. But when it comes to ground fighting, there's so much more, there's so many little details that, you can't pick up in, in watching a fight on TV. So it's like, sometimes it's like, I'll get the criticism and I don't care. Like I said, I'm so callous to it. It doesn't affect me at all. But it's like when people are just yeah. like the casual fan, I'll be like, all you do is sniff jocks. If if you were in a cage with me, I'd knock your ass out. I'm like, Oh my God, if I got my hands locked around you, you wouldn't even know what the fuck. <laughs> in my language. I don't know if I can swear on here, but fucking yeah. swear as much as you want <laughs> <laughs> i'm always like man if i could just grab you you would shit your pants you know what i mean like you think you, it's a, the casual quarterback back home they're you know what do they say the armchair quarterback back home yeah saying, oh you jock sniffer i'd beat your ass in the cage. <laughs> but i'm like whatever man like <laughs> sure, you
0: would you got me. i mean you got me good I And mean, you famously said that you know, I think it was the quote was, I'd rather look ugly and win than look pretty and lose. And obviously everyone wants to get, everyone wants to get a W, but do you still feel that way with, with the current landscape that, that is MMA?
1: Oh, for sure. And, uh, you know, and the, the thing, the way, the way it is now is, is, I, I had a, I had like a small window of time where I really was like kind of trying to change my style and in that and that's in regards to how i competed as well as how i conducted myself in in the pre-fight build-up kind of got into the talking trash a little bit kind of thought maybe i you know maybe i need to i'm always trying to broaden my skill set there's no like when it comes to training i don't leave any stone unturned i'm always focusing on every facet of the sport but um I was thinking, like, maybe it's time for me to just focus on, like, really trying to knock people out and, and make my statement that way. You know, like, that's what people like to see. And it didn't work out for me. And it's not like I didn't go out there and get knocked out. Like, I did fine. I I stood up and traded with Anthony Pettis. He's one of the best strikers in, in the in the UFC. One of the best strikers in all mixed martial arts. Didn't do too bad. Lost, you know what I mean? But I still looked at the, at the big picture and was like, this is just not who I am. Like, I need to just, it's not adhere to, like, it doesn't matter I, – I, I don't need to be out pleasing people. I need to focus on winning and doing what's best for me and wow. being true to who I am. And I'm just not – I'm not a trash talker I'm and I'm not going to deviate from what – I'm not going to deviate from being the person that I am, that I really am and the style that got me here just to please other yeah. people. You know what I mean? I'm trying to please people that don't matter. The people that matter don't have anything bad to say about the way I fight. They don't have – they, they're going to watch my fights no matter what. And I think the best way to get where I need to go or where I want to go is just winning and being true to who I am. You know what I mean? So I know, it, you know, trash talk's great. People love it. You know, it's like, well, it's just something I'm not going to do. And it has to a certain extent, like we see how far someone like Colby Covington's taking it when it comes to the trash talk. And I don't think he really particularly gained himself any fans doing, doing it to the extent that he did but guys like Khabib and and Kazmat and these guys and the way they talk trash, it's kind of funny. It's kind of like, I can see why people gravitate to it, but either way, it's just, it's just not who I am.
0: Yeah. And I, okay. So there's a lot to unpack there. (laughs) There's a lot of different things I want to touch on, but yeah, I think authenticity is key. I think if you are a trash talker, trash talk, but I think if you're not a trash talker, just don't try. Like I think authenticity comes through and you know someone like kobe you can see that it's not authentic like he's a great fighter and everything but you can just see it's not authentic you can see it's uh, it's a role it's a character that he puts on and that's why he gets a lot of the a lot of the hate i think if that's who he really was because i've seen a few videos where he's his real self and he seems like a just a a nice guy like on that you know in those videos Mm -hmm. so i think he would actually do himself more of a favor if you would let that that person shine but that's you know that's onto him but as far as like the 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 trash talk like you said you don't really get the trash talking you don't really go dirty or personal with your opponents other than that one shot with kevin lee which was famous you know but do you think yeah do you think that some fighters need that in order to get themselves fired up and is that like a conscious decision on your end to not do that Um, it's a conscious decision
1: on my end not to do it. You know what I mean? Like, I don't really have to particularly, I don't have to particularly like the guy that I'm fighting. Um, but that doesn't mean I need to put it out there. You know what I mean? Um, you know, that's like if Kevin Lee and and I ever rematched, I probably, I, you know, I know how he is. I would just kind of stick true to myself. I'm not a guy that needs to get fired up that way. I think Michael Bisping said it. that he, That's why he likes to talk a lot of trash before his fights is because he likes to kind of get in that mode. You know what I mean? I could be wrong, but I'm, I'm pretty sure that's who said it is. You know, and Bisping's one of the Bisping's one of the famous trash talkers, most famous trash talkers in the sport. You know what I mean? I just watched a highlight video. Yeah. I was just sitting on the floor in my kitchen watching a highlight video waiting for this bat to fly out of my house last night. It's a true story yeah <laughs> jesus yeah it was wild <laughs> but uh but yeah. How, so, how'd you get it out well uh the best way to do it is you've got to shut the lights off and you got to just let it kind of like oh, shut the lights off open one door or window and just kind of let nature take its course and uh he freaking wouldn't leave forever and i hate bats i just hate little squeaky animals i'm just like I just uh, they're weird they make weird noises. <laughs> And he actually went, instead of going out the door, he went through the crack. I live in a log house, as you can see behind me. And yeah. he snuck through a crack upstairs. So now today, when I get done with this interview and when I get done with physical therapy at 1130, I'm going to be running around this house chinking spaces on the logs because I don't want another freaking bat in here. You know, it's no, dude, you do not want to.
0: Yeah, no. I live yeah, in the yeah, world. There's no way. I-
1: it comes with the territory, but I just don't want to deal with it anymore.
0: No, there's no way I'm sleeping with a bat in the house. That's just not. That's that's not happening. <laughs> like I, I barely sleep with a mosquito in the room. Like I'm not letting a bat, you know, just roam around freely in the house.
1: Oh, dude, it was wild. And like he kept. Usually they'll they'll fly out in like a minute or two. It doesn't take too long. Um, yeah, but I think this guy was just trying to get out from where he came in, and I, like it's a really high vaulted ceiling in here, and uh, he would just like just go fly and stick on the wall, and he'd be like doing all this weird stuff, kind of like licking himself and rubbing himself and they're creepy like shout out to roots of fight because they sent me this huge gift package that i haven't even like gotten through yet i think i wore one shirt out of the whole thing but the shirts are in bags yeah and so every time he flew up there i'd like frisbee these shirts up there to, to get him to fly and he'd do like one lap and then go back and so i'm just like sitting here frisbee in these shirts like get this freaking thing out of here man like god <laughs> and then he just snuck out of the crack he came in so i like i waited a while to see if he come back checked around he's gone and so now i'm gonna fix all these holes and um i just have to get through august it's like august it's like it's like a it's like a summer
0: thing you know oh yeah you need to watch uh there was a a bear grills um episode i watched once where he was trying to get bats out of a cave and he lit smoke like inside i guess the, the cave and the smoke made the bats leave the cage and then he had this like net thing that he made you know from the ground because he kind of uses i mean who knows it's all semi-fake but yeah he caught a, a bat and then he like i think he ate the bat but that's god, a story.
1: god damn it no, no, no. no. And, then, yeah. and then you got the coronavirus thing which they said is from someone eating bats yep. and i got yep. bat- this Don't the, want that we've had it it's like hit and miss like last year we didn't have a single interaction with the bat in the house at all they just like you can't fight the fact that this Bats love old wood, and this is just a big wood house, so they kind of like nest in weird little places outside. I can live with that because at, at one bat, and you can look this up, one adult bat kills a thousand mosquitoes in a night. Really? Yes, look it up. It's a real thing. Like they they, they control bug populations so much, so you never want to get rid of like. Especially if you're me, I live out in the woods um, on five acres. There's bugs everywhere, and they regulate yeah. mosquitoes a lot. So it's like. I think next year I'm going to try to build some bat boxes and try to relocate them. But you don't want them off yeah. your property. They 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 work wonders for controlling the bug population. And I think I've gotten like one mosquito bite this whole time I've lived in this house. I don't get mosquito bites out here. It's nice.
0: I, I have a new appreciation for bats now. Who knew?
1: Yeah, just they're so creepy. can not you just be like a bunny? So I wish you know what I mean. Like <laughs> no, you got to look like a something from a freaking horror movie. They're just. They got like flat faces and they, they, they're small. Like these things like Dracula's Dracula's they're about this big on the wall. I mean, we're talking about the size of like a small, like the, you know, about as big as a a round tennis ball. But when they freaking take off and fly that you get like this big, you know? And it's just like, fuck. And this thing's in the house. He's dive bombing, trying to get out. And I'm like fucking yelling at my fiance, get this thing out of here. Like, (laughs) <laughs> mountain lion, if, if a mountain lion got in our house or a bear or something my size, let me handle it. But if it's a little teeny pipsqueak animal, I'm gonna let her handle it. Like, that's yeah, that's, <laughs> that's, that's a
0: fiance jump,
1: that's a fiance thing,
0: yeah, for sure. <laughs> they've also been like vilified, they've also, like, you know, throughout uh, you know, at least modern history, whenever you see like Dracula vampire movies, it's always bats, right? We, we have like a bad connotation when it comes to bats, we think of them as like evil animals. But you know, it seems like they do a good job, man. They take care of the bugs, take care of mosquitoes. And seems see like it's uh... <laughs> <laughs> yep. uh it's awesome. So I mean I want to talk about because I remember you, you spoke about the pettus fight and in that fight and before you know on the way in, I, I think you just kind of you just barely made it, um, right? It was just like a really tough uh weight cut in I always wondered, like, you were a huge 155-er, and now at 170, I mean, you look phenomenal. Why do fighters, and and you're seeing this with, you know, fighters in every weight division, maybe except, obviously, heavyweight, but they're cutting so much weight, and then that's really affecting their performance the following day. Like, I saw a video yesterday of Masvidal cutting weight, Mm -hmm. and even to 170, where he used to be a a 55-er, and I guess for him it was because it was a a short-notice fight, yeah, but it just—he looked so drained, so fatigued, just like zero energy. Yeah, and it's I just what... wonder if if what you've done is very smart, and you think maybe other fighters will kind of join that as well. I think so. I think that we're getting out of
1: that era finally. I think that that era is finally going to be put behind us. I don't really see—I don't see as nearly as many guys cutting a ton of weight on fight week as I did you know three three years ago two three years ago um i always say it's guys like dustin poirier that kind of led the way for me um yeah. you know i watched him he was a huge 45 i mean this guy was massive i remember when i met him he was still fighting at 45 and i'm like this guy is very barrel chested very wide shouldered um and i don't say barrel chested like in the sense that he's like fat i'm like barrel chested and like this guy's just yoked and uh yeah and I, I saw the success he was having right out the gates. You know what I mean? I mean, he he, he beat a lot of good guys. Had that one little hiccup to Michael Johnson, um, but other than that, just was rolling on guys, and it just really kind of got my wheels turning. Um, and I, I can't say, I can't say this if I if I got a fight fight Pettis the first time, like I was supposed to in Brooklyn. I, I was very well conditioned for that fight. I was in great shape. My weight, I think, I was like six pounds over before everything happened. They kind of pulled me out of the fight um or they actually pulled me out of the fight but uh you know i uh i did just going into that next pettis fight you know i just i remember being maybe about at the halfway marker of camp and i remember telling bo sandoval the strength coach at the pi i just was we're just getting ready to work out we're getting warmed up and stuff and i just remember telling him i'm like man win lose or draw i'm done at 55 after this fight i'm just like it's just, it's so hard to like, it's easy to fight it. it, You know, the the weight cuts never easy, but it's just one thing when it's like, if you have the, you know, five months basically to prepare, to get your body right, to make that cut, it's feasible. But like, you know, just going into that, that Pettis fight, I just, I was had a lot of things kind of working against me and, and, uh, just I think that, that that alone was a testament. Like if I would have won that fight, I would have stuck to it. Even if it would have shot me up the rankings, I still would have been like, I just can't do this anymore. I can't do this to my body. Um, you know, I spent and there's no excuse, but there is a culprit that kind of was the catalyst that started the whole, you know, the snowball effect in the in the missing weight for that Pettis fight. And that was when I broke my foot. Probably about it was twelve. 10, it was ten or twelve days before the fight. I think it was twelve days before the fight. I broke my foot and you know those are there's 10 crucial days of road work that you do there once you're tapering off from your strength training um you know i'm focusing a lot just on road work hitting mitts a few contact practices but really just focusing on the weight cut when you you know i break my foot and i can't get i didn't get to get on a treadmill until the day before weigh-ins i was able to kind of you know get my foot into a shoe and kind of gut it out and it just was too little too late you know what i mean i think that my going back to what we were saying earlier about being tough and like how skateboarding has taught me how to push through injuries and like be mentally tough and see how much punishment I can take and still keep going and still succeed. I feel like that's one of my best attributes, but I feel like in that particular instance, it just worked against me. I was like, you know what? I'm going to still try to, I'm going to, I'm going to go through with this fight. I can battle through this. I can battle through this weight cut. And then I get into the weight cut. and it, It was about, 10 hours that we all together that we were cutting weight and I still came up short. And I kind of, that's when I kind of met my maker where I was like, what am I doing right now? Like, this is my best attribute. And it still wasn't enough to get me through this. That says something, you know what I mean? It's like, I've got, that has gotten me through just about everything in life. And, and, and this one time I finally just, I just hit a wall, you know what I mean? And, And that's, that was kind of like the wake up call. I mean, I already kind of knew going into the fight, I'm done at this weight class. Like I just, I can, I don't, I don't feel like I'm getting as much of myself as I could. I'm spending my training camp focused on cutting weight. I'm not getting any better skill wise because everything is just so surrounded by this weight cutting bullshit. And, uh, you know, and then that happened. So, I mean, 10 hours in a hot bath, just really rethinking your life and, uh, you know, I, 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 I was, it was it's in as crazy as it is, it's one of the most, it's probably the only thing I'm embarrassed about in my whole career is the missing weight thing. I just think it's so unprofessional when guys do it. Um, but at least I know I pushed myself to the brink and it's not like I didn't, it's not like I spent my whole camp being a dickhead and not eating good or not doing anything right. You know, you see a lot of guys miss weight because they just, they, they push it off and push it off until the last minute and they think they can drop. 20, 30 pounds, um, you know, it's just, it doesn't work like that. And for me, that's not what it was. It was, I was diligent. I did everything I always do. I'd never missed weight before, but then I hit that roadblock, you know, less than two weeks before the fight. And uh, that's when I tried to, when I tried to channel into that best part about me, it wasn't enough. You know what I mean? So I'm glad things worked out the way they did. I'm glad I lost that fight. And that's weird to say, you know, I'm glad I lost that fight. I'm glad I missed weight now. You know, I wouldn't take any of that back if I could, because look where I am now, you know, that, 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 that whole thing that happened absolutely cemented my choice. I had pondered four weeks before that about leaving this weight class. And now I'm 3-0 at welterweight, got some big wins. I'm back in the rankings, and I don't think I'd be here if that hadn't happened.
0: Do you think if that fight happens at 170, there's a different result? Yeah.
1: I mean, you're going to say that about every fight and that's the thing you do these, you run these fights back 10 times and it's, it's, there's some difference going to happen every time, you know? So it's not like, that's not me taking anything away from Anthony. He's a very skilled guy, dude. He's phenomenal. Um, you know, he's a first ballot hall of famer at this point in his career. I mean, he's done right. a lot. for the Definitely. Um, but you know, he, like I said, you run that fight back 10 times in 10 different scenarios and you're going to get 10 different results. You know what I mean? So me being healthy, me being uninjured, not having the huge weight cut, you know, going into the fight. Yeah. You know, it could be a very different fight. Um, But I thank him for doing what he did to me that night because it taught me a lot of lessons. And uh, the, one of the biggest things I learned, be true to who I am. Don't cut a shit ton of weight and uh, <laughs> stick to plan A. You know what I mean? Stick to plan A unless unless it's time – unless plan A is not working. You know what I mean? Uh, yeah. So – you know learned a lot of good lessons that night you only learn that's and that's the hard thing about this sport is you don't learn unless you lose when you win it's like yeah you can go back and pick yourself apart and i do a good job of that i'm very i critique myself i'm very hard i i can't stand to watch my fights because i just see one little mistake and i'm like oh god you're this is a joke you suck you know what i mean
0: yeah yeah.
1: you learn the most when you lose because you look you have such a different you look at everything from such a like a different perspective and um you know, that's, that's when you learn the best lessons, the hardest lessons, but they're the ones that are the most valuable.
0: 100%. And, I mean, look, you've fought some of the top, top talent in the UFC, you know, the, the cream of the crop. You know, RDA, Pettis, Carlos Condit, uh, Kevin Lee, Jim Miller, uh, Masvidal, and uh, Alain Quinta. And, I mean, you're just pretty much, you're, what, like early 30s now? You're hitting your, your, your prime yeah. right now. 42. Yeah. In my prime. Absolutely. Yeah, you're in your prime right now. And not that there are easy fights in the UFC. There's no, obviously there's no easy fights because you have the, the, the top guys in the world, but you know what? Um, If if you had to kind of choose, let's say you have two or three more fights and then you have gold at the end of that, what would you, what, who, who would be those fights if you could choose? Um, You know, I really want to fight. This, this is a
1: tough question because when I say <laughs> there's guys, I, I want to fight. It's not it's not me looking at it from like a like the easy matchup or the dislike or anything like that. A lot of the guys, uh, the guys I usually call out to fight are the guys I think can push me the the most. You know what I mean? Like the guys that are the toughest, Um, you know, I you know, I, I was I was pleading for a fight with Tony Ferguson. And at one point I had it until I got injured. You know, who asked for a fucking fight with Tony Ferguson? No one. You know, a, a psychopath. Like that's the way I look at yeah. it. Like, I, I want to fight the guys that are the best of the best. The guys with the biggest names. And it's, it's, it's surely just a challenge myself. You know, I think Gilbert Burns is going to be champion by the time I, it comes, when it comes down to me fighting for a title, I think Gilbert Burns is going to be the guy, um, you know, so that's kind of like, I would love, and that's a guy that I respect a lot. Um, you know, we've, we've had some friendly banter back and forth. We've communicated, I wish that guy, nothing but the best. I think he's phenomenal, you know, and I'm a big jujitsu guy. I love jujitsu. And, and, you know, before he was in the UFC, he was very well, very well credentialed, multiple, multiple time world champion in in jujitsu. So I'd love to fight him. Um, I'd love to fight Colby. I think Colby could be, you know, he would be a very challenging fight for me as well um can't say i have the same amount of respect for him as i do gilbert burns <laughs> yeah. leave it at that. um guys like that and then just you know it, it's more about whoever comes first after that once i recover i don't care who it is at this point i just i need to get one win under my belt and then i'm going to launch myself back into that heap of the guys and i, I think it's only going to be two fights before i get to a title fight i've got a i got a champion's clause in my contract never had that before I got three big wins under my belt, and I think the RDA fight kind of solidified that—that that, that I am a threat um, in this division. So I just—I I, want to see how things play out. You know what I mean? There's a lot of there's a lot of good guys um, at welterweight. You know what I mean? You got you got Wonderboy, who's right ahead of me. Damian is still ahead of me. You know, Jeff Neal and Neil Magny—they're about to fight. I think both of those guys are super tough. Um, there's a lot of good fights for me. They're all tough fights. I like it. Leon Edwards. I want the guy with the most name value, you know, who I look at, like you said, I've I've fought a laundry list of names, household names. And I want to keep it that way. Like I, I, I'd rather win big and lose big than, than have it be more minuscule, especially when it's like, there's, there's, there's guys that are, I I just like, I want to fight the guys with the biggest name value. I just, I feel like I've had that nice kind of reputation. in the sport is always fighting guys that are tough, top of the heap, household names, former champions, Former contenders, future contenders, um, things like that.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think Leon Edwards would be a great fight. That's another. That's another great fight. It's
1: just he's such a. I don't even put him into the equation because I. I, I feel like I'm. I'm cl- I'd be closer to fighting a guy like Gilbert Burns than Leon, just because. The guy deserves a title shot, and I, I do. I feel pretty gutted for him. You know what I mean? He's he's just yeah. stuck in a bad situation with COVID and being locked down in England. And Gilbert Burns, Gilbert Burns. I'm not gonna say Gilbert slid into a spot because Gilbert freaking did what he does best, and he stayed super active, and he just kept himself. You know, he kept the attention on him at a time when Leon really couldn't. Um, so you know, I, I really just don't even. I don't even really mention Leon just because. Yeah, that guy needs to go fight for a title in his next fight. So it's like I'm not even going to try because it's just not going to happen. His management wouldn't let him fight me, and you know I think he's he's very deserving of a title fight. I mean, the guy rattled off it was like seven or eight wins in a row at welterweight. And his only loss is kamar Usman, so there's a storyline there. Um, there's a storyline between him and Masvidal too. You know, so yeah, I think that that guy deserves a big fight. And um, you know, I can you know maybe in a yeah.
0: fight I can see three pieces of soda.
1: Yeah. I can see myself fighting him at some point. Yeah. I feel like I did a better job handling RDA than he did, um, but you know you don't want to go off perennial matchups. He's a he's a tough guy. He's a young guy. It could happen down the road for sure.
0: Yeah, he's um a- again. I don't know if if that is the problem. It seems like it's the problem. He just wasn't able to. Um, I don't know if it lacks that charisma, or maybe he's a little bit more shy and he doesn't promote himself as well. But he just. You know, there's a few divisions that are very log jammed. And if you don't, I don't know, make a ruckus or if you don't have a massive social media following, you tend to not get, you know, you're not in the mix. You're not in the fold for whatever the reason is. And he's just one of those guys that unfortunately has been kind of like passed on a few times. He has. And unfortunate. Yeah, it is. I feel bad for him. You know, I think that I think
1: winning should and you are right. Like in a log jam division, you got to do something to stand out. I think winning is always yeah. most important. Um, and you know, he's kind of a chirpy guy. Like he's gotten a little bit lippy in some of his, uh, you know, some of his interviews. He and you know, he'll talk, <laughs> a little, he'll talk a little trash and stuff, but I just think that, you know, in, a, in, the, in the other thing that's a bummer is that he wasn't, they didn't have him fighting as much. And I don't know if that's something that he chose to do or if that was something that's just that he didn't really have a say in, um, you know, being active is very important. You know what I mean? Um, but, I, you know, I think he should have fought for the title. I think him and Usman should have sorted their business out by now. And, um, you know, and then we have whoever wins that fight and Gilbert Burns. But Gilbert Burns, I, I as, as much as I'm sitting here saying that Leon deserves a title fight, I still think Gilbert Burns is up first because he took the most chances. You know what I mean? And, and yeah. granted, he had more available to him than Leon did. Um, but, I mean, you go be Damian Mayan, and you turn around, and, you know, I'm, I'm pretty much short notice. During a very tough time to train for a fight, it, the, mo- the toughest time to train for a fight was when he fought Woodley. And it's like he, he went out, he, he took Leon's fight, he fought Woodley, and he and he not only did he beat him, but I mean, he took dominated, him, yeah. he dominated him. So it's like you got to go off of that. You can't be like he, he took Leon's fight because Leon couldn't fight. You know, it's not like he pulled out with any other any other reason except the fact he couldn't get out of the country. You know, it wasn't yeah. his fault. You know, but he, you know. Burns took that number one contender fight if Woodley if Woodley beats Leon or Burns he's back in a title fight you know what I mean in my opinion so it's like whoever goes out and beats Woodley that's going to be the guy that moves on it just happened to be Gilbert Burns and I'm excited for him and Usman just to see that they're both down to to, you know you don't see teammate versus teammate in the sport and I think that that's going to make for a very special fight for sure
0: yeah yeah, I mean, again, it goes to back to what we were talking about in the beginning. It's it's all COVID right now, and COVID is the real, uh, you know, puppeteer. Puppeteer. He, the COVID will decide, I guess, if countries open up, if places can have fights again, if uh, I don't know, borders reopen. It's, just, yeah. it's tricky right now. So he's stuck in the in the in the UK. I guess they they're very strict with uh, with their flights incoming and outgoing. Yeah. So I, I guess,
1: it, uh, it's it's got to be something think, like that for sure.
0: So. Yeah. Do you think you know? Because I've been, I've been, uh, you know, UFC and MMA and and just big martial arts fan for the good portion of my life. And with you, I feel like there is. A shift that happened in in maybe the last couple of years and um if i can use maybe dc as an example yeah you know he dc wasn't really liked uh in the whole john jones saga he was no not liked at all you know people were saying a lot of bad shit about him and john jones was the favorite and everyone loved john jones even though john jones did the worst type of things that that he did in his personal life but that's a, a different story And then at some point, DC became one of the most popular, one of the most loved athletes in the UFC. There was a, I I don't, I can't like put my finger on it, but there was some point that he just did that transition. Now everyone loves DC. DC's like across the board, he's extremely loved in the community. And I feel like there's something similar that happened to you. And I, again, it's not something I can put my finger on, but I think maybe a few years ago, you were maybe the underdog or maybe not as liked and now like again it's pretty much obviously there are you know some people in the basement that are haters but for the most part like very much loved very much welcomed and um the fans have kind of like embraced you do you feel that as well
1: yeah i definitely feel especially over the last couple years i think just me getting back to being who i really am um you know some there's some stupid fans out there but for the most part there's a lot of intelligent ones and i think that when i was trying to trying to fit the mold that is kind of become the norm of the sport. I think that it was very transparent and that it wasn't authentic. And I just, quite frankly, I was just kind of trying to force myself to be an asshole almost. And I just decided yeah. to stay, stay true to who I am. And, um, you know, and, and, it, and it's paid off for me. I mean, winning is everything. I, I mean, you'd be surprised you when you lose and i'm i'm very aware of the people that say nice things and there's been times when i've lost and they'll turn around and they'll say bad things and then they'll get back on board when you win another fight you know so there can be some fluctuation in that sense but i just think just being true to who i am you know what i mean there's a lot of fans out there i I still go on the forums i still go on the underground and stuff and there's guys are still like yes there's a fucking whiner and I just can't get behind, you know, there's always going to be naysayers, but I do, I do feel like for the most part, like I, I have got the fans rallied behind me a little bit. I just think it just really, I needed to go back to just being true to who I am and, um, and, and they can see that, you know what I mean? The world can see that it's out there, you know what I mean? So, um, you know, as family first and, and uh, you know, just be, just being true to who I am, that's very important. And I think that that's, Like that's something you got to carry on with you in life. You know, when you, you got to remember when, when the lights turn off and you're not in the limelight anymore and, and uh, you know, things kind of dump, die down a little bit. It's like, who, what do you want to be remembered as? You know what I mean? I don't want to be remembered as some jackass that just tried to force this persona to, to try to, to get more buys, you know what I mean? Or whatever, you know, and and I'd rather just be remembered as a guy that was just humble, grounded, fought hard. You know, and was just a man of the family, a man of the fans, and uh, I'd rather be remembered as that than a guy that just tried to to, to sell pay per views, being a jackass. Doesn't it doesn't yeah, fit? Me. There's some guys that are good at it, yeah. There's some guys that yeah. aren't. I was one of the guys that wasn't. I would didn't fit
0: And again, it, it it's authenticity. It's like you, if you represent yourself as you are, people will gravitate towards you. People like that. People don't want fake, and people see through fake, especially nowadays with social media it's so easy to to see and we're so savvy with, with, you know, looking at someone and just realizing if they're, if they're true or if they're fake, it just, you know, with, with human evolution, we just, we, we're we're see through people very quickly nowadays. So I think authenticity is key. And I think that's probably why people gravitate towards you now more than before. And that's, uh, you know, I'm happy to see that. And I hope more, you know, more fighters realize this because I think I do see a lot of them, try to 50 G's baby and try to, to, to go the McGregor route a little bit because they're new and they're trying to, to get their name out there. But mm. I think just a, a tip for everyone would be just be who you are. And eventually people will gravitate towards you.
1: I totally agree. You know what I mean? And that's, it's the, the the person that you get on camera is the person you're going to get off camera. And that's, that's, you yeah. know what I mean? I think that that's important. It's like, you, that's how authentic I want to be. I don't want anybody to be surprised when they meet me. Like, it's like, even though it might be beneficial when I, you know, if somebody was to see Colby on TV and they're like, this guy's a dick. And then they meet him in real life and they're like, wow, this guy's actually really nice. It's like, yeah, that's a good thing. But it's like, I'd rather just be the same guy on both sides of the camera. I'd rather be the same guy. You know, I'm going to go out there. I'm going to compete hard when, you know, from bell to bell, I don't got to be a nice guy. I'm, I'm going to go out and I'm going to smash somebody. I'm going to go out. And I'm going to really try to put the hurt on somebody and get my hand raised. But outside of that, I just want to be the same guy all the time. You know what I mean? and I think that the, that's very important. You know what I mean? That's how my parents raised me. They raised me to be humble. They didn't raise me to to be brash and I have confidence, but I don't have to like I don't have to admit my confidence all the time. I can I can keep it to myself. I can keep it between my ears. It's just very important to just be humble and be the same guy on and off the camera.
0: 100%. Do you have um do you have a favorite fight or performance where you were just you felt like you were in the zone, you know, like sometimes you have music on and you train, like shit, like I'm in the zone, like yeah. same type of feeling where you were just like, I, he can't hurt me. I'm just going to destroy this guy. Like the best you've ever felt in a fight. Um, man,
1: there's been a, there's been a couple of times I felt pretty good. Um, you know, I think that, uh, a favorite fight, I'd probably say the Carlos Condit fight, just because I had a lot of things working against me that fight. Um, two losses in a row, um, new weight class, having to fight a guy I've looked up to for a long time. My, I was not like during the warmups and stuff, my head wasn't in it. I was really just like, I forgot my, I forgot my mouthpiece at the freaking hotel and we couldn't find it because I I forgot my, I forgot my mouthpiece. I forgot my mouthpiece in Las Vegas at the PI either at the PI or or at the Airbnb. And we were staying, you know, that's when they moved the event from Las Vegas to California, so within somewhere with between Vegas and California, I lost my mouthpiece, and uh dude, I just remember that I was already like kind of riding the wave on Fight Day, and that's pretty normal. you're always kind of having some nerves or whatever, but when I lost my mouthpiece, yeah. it just was like a snowball effect. I just like I feel like I just internally, I was just like my infrastructure was fractured, and everything's starting to come down, and I'm like, oh no, you know what I mean, like this is bad and like you know, I worked with Mike Valley that fight, and he said he'd heard that Carlos had had one of the best camps he'd had in so long, and he's knocking guys out in training and all of this and that. And I'm like, you know, new weight class. Like, am I meant to be a welterweight? I didn't even have a hard weight cut. Like, Carlos is tall. Like, fucking, you know, what I mean, two losses in a row. Like, um, I was not all the way there. So, like, once I once the fight actually, sorry, once once the fight took off. I got in my zone, and then that was a very special win for me because I just feel like I had so much shit going against me. And uh, it was important for me to get that win because, you know, three losses in a row, it's like uh, it, it, I commend any guy that can get back on the winning track and get their head, keep their head on their shoulders, and in that type of situation. But I'm just glad that I didn't have to go through that and I was able to get my hand raised and do it in an emphatic fashion.
0: Yeah. I mean, how much psychological work or or meditation, if any, do you do before a fight or during um, training camp?
1: Uh, Not a lot of meditation, but I definitely do a lot of a lot of manifesting, a lot of visualization. You know what I mean? Um, I always have an idea of how I'm going to win a fight. Um, I'm pretty real with myself. I keep it pretty honest with myself. Like, you know, I kind of knew like RDA. It's like, I'm going to, I'm going to have to fight this guy from bell to bell. You know what I mean? I'm not, I'm yeah. not going to be, it's not, I'm confident I can smit anybody in the world. I, I'm confident that I, I could, I, I could get the finish the best way I can. You know what I mean? I'm confident I can do that against anybody, but I'm pretty honest with myself when it comes to certain matchups and I knew that's not going to be an easy one. And um, so I kind of had visualized, like I'm going to have to kind of go through the, go through the trenches and I'm gonna have to fight this guy from bell to bell to, bell to get the win. Um, you know, and there's other fights where I visualized the the submission and, and how I did it and made it happen exactly the way I envisioned it in my head. Um, you know, so I, definitely a lot of visualization for sure.
0: Yeah, that's, uh, I think that's that's an uh, important part of fighting. I think I was talking earlier today, I had, I had um, a conversation with the guy who was a mountaineer and he summited Everest. And we also talked about it, like just... There's a point where your body and your cardio, everything just, it, you know, it gives up on you. And all you have left is, is the mind and it's mind over matter. And I feel like the guys who have the strongest mind are just the ones that are able to push through. It doesn't matter if it's fight, if it's mountaineering, if it's in business. Like yeah. your mind is the strongest asset you have. The mind will always break before the body.
1: 100%. Yeah. It will always break before the body. You know what I mean? So it's, you gotta, sometimes you gotta rely on your internal workings and, uh, you know, those, those will be the things that can get you through a lot of situations. You know what I mean? Um, when the mind starts to go, that's when the body starts to go. So you gotta, it's, it's as long as you can stay focused. Um, you'll, you'll know when you, you'll know you're, you're truly tired when you really, your body just shuts down. You know what I mean? Not when you choose yeah. to operate, shut down, not when you choose to be tired. It's when, your your mind's still in it but your body just starts to fail you that's when you know that's you know when you when you did things the right way you know and i i that's the way i try to approach my training that's the way i try to approach my fights is you just go until the body quits not until i choose to quit don't don't make the choice to be tired let let your body make that decision for you while your head is still in it you know what i mean yeah
0: yeah Dude, so I I read a <laughs> I read a funny story, uh, that that you that you would tell. I can't remember who you told, but I read it somewhere. It's on the internet, so it has to be true. But um, <laughs> basically, before your uh, Dariush fight, oh, you, said yeah. you, crapped, <laughs> you said that you almost said that yeah. you almost crap your pants, which yep. totally legit. Like I almost crap my pants before every like main event. I'm just like so hyped, like the adrenaline's running. Like I don't know how <laughs> these guys are doing it. So you know what's what's that story?
1: Um, well, uh, what happened was, is I was in, I was in the locker room getting warmed up. Everything felt good. And, uh, I, uh, we get to the curtain before we walk out. And, uh, I remember the guy said 11 seconds. I'll never forget this the guy said, I don't know why he said 11 seconds, not 10 or 20 or whatever. It's 11 seconds, 11 seconds. till you walk. And right when he said that, it just hit me like, whoa, I gotta take a shit. And it was like a not like a not a solid one. It was like a holy crap. I'm about to, you know, it's gonna be nasty. And so I like turned to my coach and I was like, dude, I'm about to shit my pants. I gotta go to the bathroom. So I say the yeah. same thing to the guy that told me 11 seconds. And I was like, I gotta run to the bathroom first. And so I turned to run away and he grabbed me by this is when we had like the Reebok kits. So he just basically grabbed me by my yeah. foot. Spins me around. I wish I could remember the guy's name. I know him by face, but he's like, "No, you're walking now." And he just pushed me out the curtain, and so I just was immediately no. walking, like strangleholds rolling. It's on, like it's like we're going. No. And, uh, and uh, yeah, I, I got in the octagon. Told Joe Rogan to pull his headset off so I was like, "Dude, I'm about to shit my pants. I need to know the rules." <laughs> trying to get as much info as I can. I'm wearing white shorts. We're talking career suicide is imminent type thing. Like, you your pants in a fight, you're pretty much done. There's no coming back. <laughs> So and then like, as the fights playing out, like the whole game plan was like low stance, you know, when he throws the leg kicks, we're going to crash him, we're going to hit him with punches, get in the clinch, do all that stuff. And I came out that first round just standing about, I looked like a like a nutcracker guy, you know, I was so tall and erect. He's just chopping my legs, I'm just like bouncing all over the place. And and in between rounds, uh, I sit on the stool. My coach is talking to me. I'm not even listening. I just kind of like sat on the stool and like gave myself a little subtle push with the stomach. And I'm like, Ugh, okay, I'm okay now. I'm okay. It's past. And then he's yeah. like, you hear anything I said? I was like, yeah, I'm good. Like, didn't hear anything he said. Go out, win the fight in a minute. And then my coach actually has the video of this uh, backstage. I like get out of the octagon and like grab a beer from a fan. I chug it, chug the beer, give it back to him. And then I just take off running backstage. Like we're talking like it hit me again. And so I just flew backstage. Like I'm sprinting straight to the bathroom. I knew exactly where the bathroom was. Sprint backstage, go right in the bathroom, start doing my business. And Joe, you know, Joe Silva is former matchmaker of the UFC. Yeah. yeah. He comes walking in and I'm in the, you know, the stall and he's in the urinal and I'm doing my business. And, and, uh, and Joe, he has this kind of weird voice where he talks like this and, He's like, (laughs) oh man, Cassie, you really did have to take a shit. I'm like, yeah, I did, Joe. Thank you. (laughs) Let me do my business. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah. please. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I mean, uh, for me telling Rogan, it just like you traveled amongst the guys, you know, there's the guys with the headsets in front. So he kind of caught wind of it and he thought it was pretty funny. But I actually got to get ready to head to uh, physical therapy right now. So. Got to break off a little early.
0: No worries, man. I know we we were talking about an hour, that, but that story was hilarious. Um,
1: <laughs> Here, yeah, that was go.
0: hilarious, man. I loved it. One uh, for the cool. Ages. So, yeah, I mean, I you know I don't know how you did it, man. I can barely like if I have to go, I can I, you know I run home. Like there's no fighting happening. I'm just it's, it's not happening at all. So.
1: One, I think if Darius would have went to the body, things might have went a little different. But he stuck to the leg. All right. I mean, if he would have kicked me in the gut. Or maybe, like, like, a good body lock. At the end of it. I think things could have been pretty pretty messy.
0: Well, maybe if it would have been, like, today, like, how there are no fans so everybody can hear everything, he oh. might have heard you and he might have changed up the tactics. They would have heard me in the back. They would have heard me before the walkout.
1: I got to take a yeah, shit. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah, I don't know where the bathroom is at the Apex, too, so I would have been lost. I would have been like, fuck hell.
0: That's <laughs> <laughs> too good, man. Yeah. Well, Mike, man, I want to thank you, man. I, I had a blast. Uh, you know, I really enjoyed our conversation, and I hope to see you in the octagon soon, man. I really hope uh, you get a fight this year. Thank you, sir.
1: I'll be back before you know it. It's good to good to finally make this happen. And uh, stay safe out there. Bad down the hatches. Don't let the storm. Uh, don't let the storm get the best of you.
0: Yeah, yeah. Hopefully, it'll just pass and uh, not hit us too bad. Yeah, for sure. Cool, man. All right. Thanks again, Mike.